For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. Gentlemen, welcome to a brand new edition of Over the Line. That is right. Monday edition, if you will, August 24th, 2020. And it's only appropriate that I say 2020, as crazy as it is, is in fact the year of our Lord. Hey now. Over the line, here we go. A very special edition today in many respects for a couple different reasons. The first one I will get into in just a moment. But the other one is that we have a very, 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 very special guest with us. The one and only Patricia! I'm so excited you are here. This we finally is, made it happen. Well, it's something that we try <laughs> so often. Every two days. Every two days. We <laughs> attempt to do a podcast, you and I, and we're. it's important for people to know that we're in the works of doing a show that's you and I, but it is completely separate from Over the Line. Right. And until we hammer those details out, it's going to be under that umbrella uh, but as we kind of work our way through, and we specify, I mean, as people go through the over-the-line archives, it, they can specify which one is is you and I, because it's a little different. We're not breaking down the headlines of the day or ranting and raving on mail-in voting or COVID. We're talking about particular issues, court cases, conspiracy theories, which we don't like the term conspiracy theory. Yeah, I was about to correct you on that one. It's got a bad connotation, <laughs> so we don't want to we don't want to go that route. But uh, I'm very excited that you're here with us. I know a lot of other people are excited as well. 
Make sure if you are watching and listening to this live, you share it with your friends and your family and let them know they can come on here and uh, they can interact. That's another thing we're going to do is you guys use the live chat on YouTube. We're going to talk to you um, and kind of go back and forth. I know that's going to be irrelevant for the people listening to the audio version later on but still i think it's a cool aspect for a show that's a little bit different than the norm so um we're going to break it down and we'll tell you in just a moment what we're going to talk about but the first part of the show it is only appropriate that we share the very heartbreaking news that most of you guys know already and that is the passing of a Birmingham, Alabama talk radio legend by the name of Charles Walker Allethead. It's unbelievable. I still I still don't believe it. It is you and I were uh we were spending Saturday night in the living room on our brand new six thousand dollar sectional couch. That we paid four hundred dollars for. I was gonna say, don't be bougie. <laughs> but you're the one that told me it cost that much. Well, it did. We um, didn't pay that, but that's how much it cost. And uh, we we're having a good time watching a watching a movie, getting all into it. Um, a really fun family movie, or a movie about a family, should I say? Is that what we were watching, or were we watching Wrinkles the Clown? Which one were we watching? Which one? The family I had. I think that's that what we were it. watching. Yeah, it was about. It was about a 15-year-old kid that murdered his little sister. He was 13. 13. Yeah. Murdered his 4-year-old sister. Yes. Oh, it was it was awful. Really good documentary though. And that's when I got the call Charles Allen Head has passed away at the age of 83. Was he 83? Um he lived a life. He lived a long life and he lived a very storied life. And in his later years, he spent all of his time telling people <laughs> about that storied life. Uh, I, I know I feel this way, and I'm sure most of the other people in, in radio in Alabama, not just in Birmingham, but Huntsville and, and uh, Montgomery, Mobile, Gadsden, um, most of those guys have been through the Birmingham market at one time or another, and they have had interactions with Charles Allenhead. And they're like me, and they feel like they know his life story. And, and not because he's told us, you know, every story throughout his life once, one time or another. He's told us every story in his life hundreds of times. The same story. So it gets pounded in your head, and you know you remember the details of the story. Also, other interactions that we've had. Um, you know, th- there's some host that... Um, that would ban him from the show, leave him on hold for the entirety of a show. I'm talking four hours on hold. Um, we, and I say we as in Jessica and I, when we were doing the line at WYDE, we never outright banned Charles, but we did go full episodes with him on hold the entire time. And never took his call, not even at the end of the show. I I specifically remember a few times where you started his call and then put him on hold and would come back every five or ten <laughs> minutes and put pick it back up and he was still talking. He had no clue he was on hold. Uh, that, yeah, we would, uh, <laughs> and he would do. He would talk so much. It's a weird thing in radio that if it, 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 the person that's on the other line, they will when they're talking, 
they can't hear you. Like their voice overpowers yours and it cuts yours out. So they, they don't hear you at all until they stop to take a breath. And Charles Allenhead was not known for that. He was not known for taking breaths. He would uh, talk, He'd run on sentences and everything. So it was easy to not only have a discussion with your producer or your co-host while he was talking, but it was just as easy to put him on hold and then continue to conduct your uh, your segment. Because, you know, when they're on hold, they can still hear what you're saying. They hear the mm-hmm. radio. Uh, there was even one time, I think, filling in for Leland that we put him on hold. AJ put him on hold. We went through an entire commercial break. And let's be honest, y'all know how long those commercial breaks are. Came back on the other side, picked up the phone, he was still talking. Yeah. That's that's like 10 minutes. But, you know, he also did stuff like when we were out of town, we were in Missouri, and he came on and said that he was missing you and wrote a poem about you. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> while, while we were on vacation. So yeah. that was pretty cool. Yeah, Charles, uh, he, he thought highly of me, and for whatever reason, um, he did... He also, um, he thought very highly of P. Diddy. Yeah. And really, and, and it hurts my heart to know that that I never got Peyton over there to him or Miss Brenda, which there's still... still the opportunity to right. get him to meet Miss Brenda, which I know she would absolutely love. And for those of you that are not familiar with my previous career or Birmingham radio, Miss Brenda is what is known as his concubine right really is that is that a derogatory term well it sounds like it well <laughs> it does sound kind of bad uh I, well i didn't she know was like his partner right like, is his life for, partner they were together for 22 years 22 years they were together and uh never got married but miss brenda said that they planned on it so mm-hmm. um just very sad she she called in to the matt Nani show this morning um and uh, kind of gave everybody an update and, and to let everybody know how much she appreciates them with the prayers and the well wishes and condolences, if you will. Um, even got choked up a couple times, yeah, which was hard to listen so, to. Yeah. Um, but if you want to, you can go to talk995.com slash podcast and listen. It's at the very beginning of hour number two from 8 2020 so you can go to their website and hear that if you on missed the matt it. and ani show matt and ani show correct yeah so um there was that i called in as well and told, i told the story now this happened two <laughs> different times on two different occasions where charles called and it was one of those days where and it may have just been he's already called once for that show or he's called too many times that week and we just don't want to go through that um, he sat on hold for a really long time. Finally, he hung up. And within a half hour, Jessica gets a call from, I think it said emergency dispatch on the caller ID or something. And they're like, hey, this is, uh, uh, I'll just make up a name, Laquanda from 911. Um, we've got a guy by the name of Charles Head who is continuing to call us saying he has an emergency and that emergency is that you won't let him speak on the radio, thus infringing on his freedom of speech. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> and, uh, 
it turned into some pretty good radio because we ran with it. Uh, but it was it was almost as if the nine one one operator was calling to say, "Hey, would you do us here at nine one one a solid and just put him on?" <laughs> because he's not stopping. That happened twice. Once uh, it may have happened more than that. Once on the line. And then once when I was filling in for Leland. And that wasn't that long ago. No, that because was... Because that's been since um, quarantine. Yeah, that was uh, four, five months ago. It may have been early in the year because I was in studio for that one, I believe. No, nope, you you're right. Here. You were here. here. That's right. Because I was sitting in the room with you when it happened. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me it, right now? <laughs> it wasn't long ago at all. But in honor of Charles, I thought it would only be appropriate to play you some of the old audio from Mr. Charles Allenhead. He, um, we got a lot of audio, and I really contemplated just doing a whole show dedicated to him and just playing old Charles Allenhead audio, but ultimately uh, decided against it. So we just kind of picked a couple that we want to play for you. And this first one is Charles calling in about, well, he wants to talk to P. Diddy. Again, as I said, he thought very, very highly of P. Diddy. What? <laughs> wow. Why? Why do people do? I mean, I mean, this is my papa calling me. Okay, you know how many times my papa has called me in the last four years? Twice. Well, he's probably calling because your dad had surgery today. Right. Well, I wish <laughs> they would call him. Like <laughs> they probably tried. He's probably asleep. Oh, they. Um, I'll call them all back. They get it. Hopefully, somebody's watching. That uh, is a family member that can then relay the message to everybody else. Anyway, Charles Allenhead. This was back in, I think, maybe August of 2017. Possibly even, let's see, P. Diddy was six. So what? when would that be? I'd have been 2016, right? Yeah. So this was just after the show started. This was a month after the line started. Wow. I didn't realize it was that soon. So if I sound like a little baby, that's why. <laughs> you should have seen his face. It was four long years ago. Here you go. Charles Allenhead calling in the line uh, over four years ago. Well, we're going to go ahead and go to the phones. i got to take a break, but we're going to stretch it out. Is that okay? Am I going to get in trouble for that? Let's go over to the one, the only, Charles Allenhead. Hey, happy August 9th in the year of our Lord. Charles Allen here, Dustin, are you all okay? We're doing good. We're doing good. Okay, this call is especially to P. Diddy. Good morning, P. Diddy. Good morning. Are you okay this morning? Yes. Okay, I would like to thank you for mentioning me on radio. You sound like a smart young man. How old are you? Six. How old? Six. You're six. That's already a half dozen. I want you to help me. I am in the library in Birmingham on a Charles Allen head. Jim Murrow over there has documents of mine because I helped stop that oil leak. And I have a court date, November 10 this year, to be paid because they have decided to settle. Halliburton, BP, and Transocean decided to settle with me. And so I have that upcoming. And should I get my settlement, it will be in November, so that means 
I don't know whether you're familiar with Santa Claus, but I'm going to send Santa Claus down your chimney for mentioning me here August 9. This August 9th is a special day because August 9, two years ago, I called the President of the United States 1202-456-1111. I spoke to Operator 3 and Operator 18 and told them to convene the National Guard for Ferguson after the Michael Brown situation. Are you, are you still hanging with me? Don't shoot was not true. Hey, did he? That was a big lie. And I want you to remember that. And I also- Now, let me make this note real quick. There was a thing we had that was if Charles went on too long, we had a buzzer that would kick him off the phone line, right? And so when P. Diddy would be in studio, and I'm not necessarily proud of this now that he's gone, when P. Diddy was in studio, I would uh, I would give him the reins. I would give him the buzzer. And so you can hear in this, this portion of the clip where I asked P. Diddy, hey, you ready to buzz him? Because it's it seems like, you know, two minutes in radio, it seems like 30. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, you want to buzz him? And he's like, no. Heart of gold, this kid. Didn't want to buzz Charles Allen. I wouldn't want to buzz him either. Well, it's uh, it, it, it was a necessary evil, if you will. I get it. You know, you, sometimes you, you got to do what you got to do. So I want you to help me get Webster to understand that hyphen need to be in the dictionary. It's not there. I've been talking to him for the last four or five Hyphens? years on what? another show, Paul Feinbaum show I spoke. The hyphen is not in the dictionary, but hyphen... If I stick you up with a gun, that's the Peter, do you want us to buzz him? But not Heisman. And I want you Just to think him. about when you go to the library, look up Charles Allen Head and Charles Allen Walker, Is and on your phone, say, show me civil rights activist Charles Allen Head, and they show you a picture of me when I was 18 in military guard, but I was not military, on your phone now. Oh. The Paul Feinbaum show, and they give you a portrait. Paul Feinbaum, maybe it is Bobby the Petrino and yeah. Jessica oh. on the motorcycle. Buzz him. I enjoy talking to you. Barely got that in. There you go. Charles, we appreciate you calling in. We got to go to break. That's a good job on the buzzer, P. Diddy. I mean, I think he stretched it out a little long. Right. But he says he's... he's. Wow, I do sound like you a baby. sound like a baby. Wow. <laughs> That's not good. That makes me so uncomfortable. I don't like it. Contacted the president and he's suing... Who am I? Ben Shapiro? Oh my god! Tim Cast. Didn't someone say you had a squeaky voice? Yes, I've, I've heard that <laughs> numerous times. EP and all this stuff. He's about to get a lot of money. So it sounds like he's going to buy you some gifts because you mentioned him on the radio. Which is interesting, because he said, thanks for mentioning me, but he didn't even really say anything about the context in which he was mentioned, which was not in high regard. He didn't say, Charles Ellen Head, you're my favorite. He actually said, I don't like him. <laughs> and I don't think he noticed that. And he still, see, but P did he, the fact that he And sits, I even said, hit the buzzer, and he still likes me. He's still that. sending you gifts. That's yeah. a pretty sweet deal. That is pretty solid. Well, you can be six years old and, and get that. It's the know. voice. It's the I voice. Think. People still like you. All right, we're running behind. Quick break. More of the line on the other side. Hang tight. <laughs> there you go. There's Charles Allenhead checking out, uh, calling in to talk to P. Diddy. Then there was another instance where he called in, and it, you know he always wrote the poems. Yes. Right. Yes. And they weren't 
always entertaining. But from time to time, you would get one that he would absolutely knock out of the park. Whether it's about the scrotum patrolum, which was <laughs> where that. you microchip sex offenders to track them, but you microchip them uh, in the scrotum because they would never cut it out. They would never cut the chip out if you put it in their scrotum. It's not a bad idea. <laughs> so that was one of them. But the, the, then there was another one where he was talking about Donald Trump. And some days he liked Donald Trump and other days he didn't. This one is one of those days where I don't think he did. And he's talking about Donald Trump groping women mm-hmm. in what he referred to as the grope-a-dope. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> so here's here's that one. Well, let's see. Here we go. Come on, baby. Oh, I guess I, I guess I need to push the button. Let me let me train you. Push that button right there. Which one? This one. This one. Yeah. Oh, you're a radio star. Look, you know what you're doing. We've got Charles Allen Head. Hey, happy October 14th in the year of our Lord. Charles Allen Head, best Andrew, you okay? Rocking and rolling. Okay, well, I'll tell you what. The woman Wait was talking it. about Donald Trump was all over her on the plane like octopus. But she didn't name but six. Like, octopus has eight. And so she's wrong at that point. <laughs> Big Dollar John, the gopher dope. Don good talk for some rumpsy thoughts. Don was like an octopus on a flight with me. All six of his hands up and down my knee. My people, I was tightly buckled down well, watching this young Don John go with my ACL. <laughs> Mr. Don would not retreat. And I got stroked by this rope dope Now, many people just wonder what took so long and why we failed to run this dude asunder to correct his wrong. Beautiful women are coming out of the woodwork, screaming, antiquated hurt. And it's about time for those females to unwind and slap the slime over this pervert. And let's hang this old goat with a plaited rope. Just go for dope. Hey, Charles out of head. Dustin. My favorite part was the ACL. <laughs> <laughs> the old grope dope <laughs> I can't even deal with it. The funny part was the fact that he was, uh, you could hear Miss Brenda laughing in the background as he's reading this, even though you know she's heard it numerous times. Oh, probably. Do you have any um, any any memories of Charles that you can think of off the top of your head? Any Anything that sticks out, or is he just generally, you know, his whole persona of, you know, he, he was very well put together when he would call. Like, he... He didn't stutter, he didn't mess up, he didn't mispronounce, well, I was going to say he didn't mispronounce words on accident. Um, you know, he had it all together. He's a good writer, too. Smooth like Tennessee whiskey. <laughs> hey, Charles Allen and Bessemer. Bessemer. But the, uh, the moral of the story here is Charles is going to be greatly missed. I know for me, I... Um, I I was listening to him call in Birmingham talk shows at a very young age, um, in particular on the Paul Feinbaum show. You know, he was a large part of really uh, Paul Feinbaum's success because if we want to define what has gotten Paul Feinbaum from Birmingham 
to the mecca of sports, which is ESPN, the you know, in turn, the SEC network, it was his callers. Because Paul Feinbaum, he, he knows sports, but he's not... He's not a, a flashy, passionate radio guy, you know. I he's can not see your wheels turning. <laughs> well, he's not. <laughs> he's not raising his voice. He's not doing anything wild and crazy or radio stunts. He just happened to be sitting on a gold mine in Alabama, in Birmingham, Alabama, which was the audience. Right. The audience was the gold, and Birmingham was the mine. And sports are almost religion here. Exactly. Right. So a lot of passion. He took the bull by the horns on that one and rode it all the way to um the 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 top of the radio industry. Mm-hmm. So uh that's why I feel Charles had a really big part in that. And I can't tell you he he wrote about Charles in his book, but I can't tell you exactly what he said, but I'm I'm sure it was something to that effect. Do you know what we need to do? We need to research some of his stories. We yeah. need to research some of his stories to see how many of them were actually true. Oh, Charles? I bet they're all true. <laughs> I bet he's are. one of those people that, like, what is it, the big fish or whatever? What's the big fish? Is that the name of the movie? Real Big Fish? I no, don't that's a know. band. I have no idea. The fish. But you know, I have a friend that has all these outlandish stories. <laughs> yeah, can we talk turn... about her? Well, let's not call her by name. Okay. Like that. Well, we'll we'll say um, we'll say Lisa. Yeah, we'll say it rhymes with Tim. No, we won't say that. Okay. <laughs> so she does. She she has some outlandish stories, and honestly, we we would probably say some some of this to her face. Uh, so we're not really talking behind her back, but there have been things that were completely so far, and y'all probably got friends like this too, or at least know people, stories that are so outlandish and improbable. And frequent. And, fre- and frequent that there's no way for you to believe it, right? No. But as of late, as we've really concentrated on these wild and crazy stories and even investigated to an extent we start finding out a lot of them is true right Every and one it's of bizarre them, well we haven't really investigated it's just the knowledge has come to us that, that they're true one of the one of the latest ones was <laughs> during the alabama senate campaign <laughs> okay yes. now this person do you want me to tell the story yeah yeah you do she it. called me one day at work because she knows i follow politics very closely all right, get up in that well, mic. Well, I can't make reach sure you, it. That's why I tried to make tell sure you, you to move it. You're just going to Make sure you talk like a big girl. There we go. <laughs> mm, so she is ca- that good? You like that? <laughs> it's all okay. up in my grill. So she calls me at work one day, and she says, Hey, tell me who you're voting for in this election and why. And I said, Okay, why, why am I doing this? And she said, Because someone's going to interview me later, and I need to know what I'm talking about. Next thing I know... I've, I've told her what I know. Next thing I know, she is on CNN in New York City being interviewed. Now, she tells us she's she <laughs> was on CNN, and we're like, okay, yeah, right, whatever. And then a friend of mine calls and goes, I was washing dishes, and guess who I heard <laughs> on the TV and turned around and I saw her. Not only that, but they had her on NPR. They had her in the campaign. 
It was bizarre. Like, eating dinner with his wife. Like, it was crazy, this crazy. This is someone who knew nothing about politics. Nothing about politics. And a week later, she's on CNN. Like, yeah, it was three like... Three or four times. Overnight, she went from knowing nothing about politics to being a part of the Doug Jones campaign. They flew her to New York City. And being a CNN and NPR <laughs> political analyst. <laughs> and it was like... Really? When she told me, she said, oh, I was on CNN. I was like, no, you were not. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And she was. Before that, <laughs> the stories would go something like, oh, yeah, uh, I I dated Tom Petty back in the day. He wrote Last Dance with Mary Jane about me, you know, stuff like this. And then next thing, next thing you know. She some, really did date Tom Petty. <laughs> then we see somebody on Facebook commenting on her status. And it was like, Tom Petty from like, like 12 years ago. Tom Tom T. Petty or something. It's <laughs> like, oh my God. It's just, it, it was one of those people. So I, Very I think, nice. I love her dearly. But right. there's just so many stories that are like, okay, that's not real. Yeah. But then it turns out to be true. Well, she's one of those friends I, I've noticed just from hearing stories of the past that will, for the most part, do almost anything you ask her to do. Oh, yes. Stuff she's... that normal friends wouldn't do. Like, hey. <laughs> Let's not go there. I need, well, <laughs> I'm trying to make it weird. Stuff, I'm talking like, hey, I need somebody to help me come clean or... Oh, hey, yeah. it's, you know, it's 1 a.m. We just got done at the bar. Let's go to the gym and, you know, stuff like that. Oh, yeah. That she'll be down for. Um, but, yeah, Charles is probably a lot like that. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I bet you, you know, you hear him talk on the radio and you're like, okay, yeah, sure. You. Right. You, Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but I guarantee you most of it's true. And he had so many stories. I mean, uh, you know, his one of his is it his daughter or his son that works for the Trump campaign um or within the administration and uh, he's got pictures he claims he used to hang out with Muhammad Ali uh he always claimed that I had this picture that he sent to the station for me to give to P Diddy and it was his son with Donald Trump and um God, what's the guy? What's the the boxing promoter that had the Don the, King? Don King. Uh, it was Don King and Donald Trump, and then Charles Allen had son, and he. I don't know why he was so adamant about P Diddy having that picture, but well, isn't there a famous pitch, picture of them together when they were doing like a fundraiser in New York City for the inner city? schools or something i have no idea yeah i think there's a picture of don king with uh trump from, that, maybe that was it from like and 10 years ago or something yeah charles just photoshopped his son in <laughs> <laughs> or his son's actually in the picture right could be that all right so uh a rest in peace charles allen head he's yes. going to be dearly missed and uh it's it's going to be weird knowing that you will never get that phone call again also pray not only for Charles' family, his kids, but in particular for Miss Brenda, um, who, again, we heard her on the radio this morning, and she, she does seem incredibly sad, uh, especially living in a nursing home, as she is. She's, I guess, because of family, going to have to move to Missouri, and I don't know how that's going to affect her listening to Birmingham Radio. Because she's not um, technology 
savvy. So, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I don't know. Well, so do you my... think he got her into colonization? Charles? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Because he, he, she was asked this morning. Um, so did Charles? Was Charles a big talk show caller when you guys first met? She's like, oh yeah, he did it all the time. So I wonder if when she gets to Missouri, if she'll start calling in. She Up better there. not start listening to some Missouri radio station. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. It's going to be, she says she's moving to Springfield, Missouri, which is not that far from uh, my mom's house. We'll have to go visit. And that's what my mom said. She was like, we could meet in Branson, go to Springfield, meet Miss Brenda, introduce P. Diddy, um, and it'll be a lot of fun because I've never met her in person. But she loves me to death for whatever reason. Well, you did take packages to her a few weeks ago, didn't That's you? That's true. She goes, I love you, Andrew. I love you. <laughs> she said it like four times. I'm like, okay, Miss Brenda, I love you too. Gotta go. Gotta go to break. Um, so there's that. Now, uh, another thing we were going to bring up on today's show, and this is going to be the, the kind of the, the, the feel of future episodes with Trish and I, as uh, we take your uh, suggestions for show name and all that kind of stuff is the Scott Peterson trial on the Scott Peterson case from 2002. Now, the reason her and I have never even discussed talking about this case on the show, no. but news broke today that the California courts had state courts had overturned his death penalty conviction. And so that made it kind of within all the other craziness, the talk of the town. And so... Oh, I'm you, being lit up on Facebook over it. Right. She's followed this stuff for a long time. She knows a lot more about it than I do. But I thought, or you you thought, that it would be a good opportunity for us to bring this up on the show. So I'll let you kind of set the table as far as... Talk to these guys as if they've never heard this case before. Okay. So uh, the case with Scott Peterson, um, it happened back in 2002. At uh, Christmas time, his wife Lacey went missing on Christmas Eve. She mm-hmm. was... Eight and a half months pregnant. She was like two weeks away from delivery and uh, she went missing. So long story short, he was convicted of the double homicide because they did treat the baby um, as a second murder and he was given the death penalty. Uh, What kind of separates this from most cases is the media sensation that was made. It was like slow news time. So they kind of latched onto the story and it was a media circus, like bigger than O.J. Simpson right. media circus. And so, um, I it mean, it was the next big case on the heels of O.J. Really, because O.J. was late '90s, right? Yeah. Well, they've even said it. It, you know, shadowed O.J. Simpson, like yeah. it overshadowed O.J. Simpson. It was so big. I mean, I can remember where I was when it came up on the news for the first time. Like, that's how big it was. Yeah. You know? So, um, I right away thought he was guilty. Just He just has that face that looks like he's lying and being deceitful. Well, and the media coverage back then was a lot different than it is now. And, and not just 
from a bias standpoint, but from the way that we as individuals can do our own research or Mm -hmm. watch tons and tons of analysis on YouTube or TV or whatever. We just had a handful of outlets and that's what we got, whatever they gave us. Well, and honestly, what was going on back then is they would find these big media stories. I felt like they were they were doing these stories to cover up what was going on with the government at the time. Um, anytime there was like a trillion dollars missing or something, then there was some story like this that was taking over all the media outlets. Right. So I always kind of looked at, okay, so this is what they're talking about. So what's going on over here? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, but that's, this was like the first big story like this where they covered it. Um, yeah. So today, basically what happened is they, because of the jury selection process, um, they reversed the death penalty conviction, but not the murder conviction. He's Mm -hmm. still convicted of murder. So he's going to get a new, uh, penalty trial is what it is. Right. For all we know, they might let him out tomorrow. Or they may give him life with no parole. We don't know. Or could they, and I'm genuinely asking this, could they give him the death penalty again? Or is this yes. overturning it? No, they can. She can. The They have not decided yet if they're going to go for the death penalty again. Um, the reason why I'm getting a lot of pushback on Facebook is because I feel like he didn't get a fair trial. And you're, you're supporting a murderer. That's why you're right. getting pushed back. I'm getting a lot of pushback, but you know, there was a lot of evidence that was kept out of this trial that should have been the jury should have seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's any way that he would have gotten a conviction. Um, they would have gotten a conviction had all of this evidence been put in front of the jury. Well, just as this in the same way we were affected by the day and age of media or whatever. Uh, the trial is the same way, not just the trial, but the jury who was, you know, they, they weren't going to find anybody that didn't know about this case before they got seated on the jury. Well, and so, I think it's bigger than that. I think that the the police officers, the detectives locked in on him from the beginning, so they didn't, like, investigate you know, leads that they should have. There were 14 witnesses that saw her. You know, she went, here's what happened. On on the day that she went missing, he got up, it was Christmas Eve, and he went fishing, which some people say, says that alone makes him guilty. But I say, I've sent you off on holidays several times. She's so get out of here. Because I have stuff to do, and it's easier for me to get stuff done when, you know, you go... Yeah, you're cooking 20 different things. I, I mean, I've personally done that. The so, kids are in the way. And when I say the kids, I mean the husband and the boyfriend and, <laughs> you know, then there's so, those kids. So he went fishing that day. And after he went fishing, she took the dog for a walk. And that is um, when, you know, she either, you know, was kidnapped or, mm. but that's, you know, what happened. Um, he comes back at five o'clock. He calls her parents and says she's not home have you seen her and they immediately call the police the police come and within i think 24 hours they are treating him like a suspect right um no no nobody no evidence in the house that even looks like something's happened there nothing other than the dog what was the time frame? right the dog comes back yeah mckenzie the dog 
is seen in the yard by one of the neighbors with the leash on. The neighbor just walks him up to the property, puts him back in the backyard, and goes about their day. Like a walking leash. Like somebody right. was walking the dog and just let the leash go, and so the leash was being drugged behind the dog. Right. So, which would appear that, you know, she was walking the dog and something happened to her and the dog came back to the house. Um, but the police, like, locked in on him right away. And they investigated it from a standpoint that he's guilty. We need to build our case around that. So there were, you know, 14 witnesses that saw her walking in the park. And if she was actually walking in the park, he was too far away to have done the crime. Because by the time, you know, where he went fishing was too far away to get back and have had done the crime. It's right. basically the problem. So you have 14 people that are neighbors of her saying, no, we saw her walking that day. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't talk to those people. Right. And then you have the aspect of the DNA evidence or the, the, uh, the science that they used to determine the day she died seems to be what's been called junk science. There's new theories, new ways to conduct these. Uh, Are these... you talking about the fetus? Yeah, date? yeah. Okay. Testing the, 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 the day the fetus died to then determine when Lacey Peterson died. Right. So that's one of the problems that um, they found in this case as well, is that it, they tested the bones of the baby, and they've determined that... The baby lived, I think, until like January 4th, and she went missing on December 24th. Right. And with that media circus, I mean, if he had anything to do with it, you know, the baby wouldn't be alive until, you know, the 4th of January. So that would have automatically cleared him. So there's things like that, you know, um, with this particular with this particular ruling though it is happening because the jury um they were asked if they believed in the death penalty right and the jurors that said they did not believe in the death penalty were excused which is not that's not allowed well the prosecution and the defense both get to go through and kind of pick who they want on the jury right. during the you know, grand jury process or whatever they call Mm -hmm. jury duty deal or um, whatever it is. So yeah, jury selection, jury selection. (laughs) So, well, so they're always looking for reasons to excuse um, someone. Yeah. Excuse people that are not going to benefit their case. And and that goes along the lines of that or even gender or race or whatever you think about OJ and how they wanted to make sure they had at least one black guy on the jury rodney king as well you know uh johnny cochran was adamant about using race and you know the the race card mixed with sympathy to get his clients off the hook right but that was pre-trial i believe some of these jurors were released during the trial oh yeah i don't think that we're talking about jury selection letting them go in that instance i think these are the ones that were let go mid-trial because they were leaning towards a not guilty or no death penalty right and so they cut them loose i could be wrong i haven't seen the details on which jurors are referring to but um i think that is because there were a couple of jurors that released and afterwards they they came to the media and said i didn't think he was guilty right 
So well, there, there were some other aspects of this, and you and I were watching some videos before the show because, again, you know so much more about this than I do. Um, that I, I saw, or we watched a Dr. Phil episode where they were interviewing, or he had on Scott Peterson's sister-in-law, mm-hmm. who is trying to prove his innocence as right. of today. She's really the one that that got this this movement to get this death penalty thrown out kicked off mm-hmm. as well as um a a reporter from the area that mm-hmm. in the wake Gloria of Gomez Gloria Gomez mm-hmm. who was a reporter reporting on the story right while they were searching for Lacey Peterson or she was the post? she was the first reporter on the scene and she was the first one to speak to Peterson so she was probably in the mix before and after they she, found the body if you were watching the Peterson um, coverage she was one of the main people her and is it Ted Rollins I think that's his name mm-hmm. Rollins those were the two that were local Modesto um, um journalists that were front and center for the entire thing right so she was she was right there for the entire thing well here is uh here's that clip of the dr phil show where they're talking to these two satellite from fox wtvt in tampa so says one of the first reporters on the scene what was your first impression of scott and why my first impression of scott was that he was very disconnected i know that at Mm -hmm. one point he he did approach me and I asked him for an interview. He seemed very disconnected, didn't want to really talk to the media. You could tell he was very distant. Well, anything stand out about your interview once you did sit down with Scott and talk to him in his home? I know that he was very particular about me taking off my shoes when I first approached the house. So that was odd that I had to take off my shoes. I'd be like, nah, bro, I'm not doing this. I'm not, I am not. Because you think about it, a female reporter, she's probably not wearing any socks or anything. She's probably wearing high heels. So now she's in this guy's home in her bare feet. That just seems weird to me. Is that weird? Well, it's not weird to me just because I know the details of the case. Lacey was a very clean person, and she did not allow people to wear shoes in her house. So maybe just a habit for it. They were very clean people. You would not survive in their house. Or was it a way (laughs) because... He's innocent. I'm hypothetical. Mm-hmm. His way of kind of giving her a hat tip to honor her, if you will, by not getting her carpet dirty. Well, that, I think that's exactly what it was. I think that if he is innocent, that he knew she was coming home and that was their rule. They just didn't let people in the house with their shoes on. And, and that would be my first interview really without shoes on. But the whole time when I did interview him, I felt like he was very scripted. There was no emotion. Well, having spent two and a half years on this case, do you believe that Scott murdered Lacey? I think the jury got it right. Did you make up your mind because he behaved like a guilty person rather than a piece of evidence or a cluster of evidence that proved that he was guilty? No. Even when I approached him and said, hey, it's really important for you to reach out to the public, let them know the anguish, the pain you're feeling. He just didn't seem to see that, that that was important for the public to see that. Now, where, where were you at on that, on his demeanor when you saw well, him? Well, I will tell you, the first time I saw him, he was standing in the middle of the street talking to investigators. 
he didn't even open his mouth and I was saying he was guilty. Right. <laughs> Just by looking at his face, not hearing his voice or anything, I thought he was guilty. So his his demeanor, his look, uh, everything about him screamed guilty. Yes. I, I, there's clips I've seen myself where he's cutting up and seemingly having a good time and it strikes people as odd. And I agree with this reporter that public perception is very important if you're going to go on trial because your future jurors are watching this. I understand that, but you have to remember that he had cameras on him 24-7. And you were just 24-7. And you're Alex seeing... wanted to right, show Right, and they're going... And, and don't get me wrong, he's probably guilty. I'm not saying he's innocent, but you have to take it for what it is. They're, you know, you're you're covering somebody for 12 to 14 hours a day and they take a moment to smile and that's the caption you're... I mean, that's the clip you're going to run with all day. Also... Everybody grieves differently. Right. So you've got that aspect to it as well. Mm-hmm. Let's see if I can get my video going again. I think I broke it. Don't break it. You know, the days went on and we started, you know, revealing more and more facts about the case. You know, the fact that he had a boat that he didn't tell Lacey about. The fact that, you know, there were, Lacey's hair was found on the pliers in his boat. The fact that he had gone fishing on Christmas Eve. All of those things were sketchy from the beginning. And of course, it's not my opinion on whether or not he's guilty or not. It's the jury's opinion. But the whole point is. We but didn't she just give her opinion? She yeah. said the jury got it right, which means... Well, but he did ask. <laughs> my opinion is Scott Peterson uh, killed Lacey. Right. We as journalists have to pursue the truth, and that's exactly what we were doing. And the fact that he was looking more and more guilty was just the evidence that was coming out. We had nothing to do with it other than showing the public exactly what was going on in this case. There were some things there that were said that you say, just not true. Like, for example, that she didn't know about the boat. Correct. You say that's not true. She did know about the boat. She didn't know about And you boat. say that she knows about the boat because you say that she... Now, the lady that just said she knew about the boat, that is Scott Peterson's sister-in-law. Now, when when they say sister-in-law, how what, do you, what does that's that mean? That's his brother's wife. Okay, I got you. Yes. And she's the one going to bat for him. She claims uh, part... One of the big pieces of evidence for them was the fact that they said... He bought this boat secretly and didn't tell his wife about it. I think most of us guys know that's a bad move. And that if you're hiding that big of a purchase, if you're talking about, you know, middle America. Well, this was like a $1,200 boat. You still think to yourself, okay, if he didn't tell her about that, that is kind of odd, but if the sister-in-law is correct, then well, there are witnesses. Matter. There are witnesses that are completely impartial. They're just he kept the boat in a storage unit, and um, witnesses to you know people that have storage units around that storage unit had seen Lacey just days before she went missing at, at the, the storage unit where the boat was being kept. How long before she was murdered did he purchase the boat? Was it days? Like, like a week and a half. Okay. So and so the the reporter is hanging her hat on the fact that the mom didn't know about the boat. Well, they've only had the boat for a week and a half, and maybe because they had told their parents they were having financial problems, they didn't want to tell the parents that, hey, we have financial problems, but we just bought a boat. The mom... You know... The mom, Lacey's mom, says, 
she never heard from Lacey about the boat. So that's proof that Lacey didn't know about the boat. Right. That's that's the only evidence she's got. Right. And to they say were that. and they were allowed to say in trial that that Lacey didn't know about the boat and they didn't bring in the witnesses that saw Lacey in the storage unit where the boat was being kept. And the storage unit's not that much bigger than the boat. So it's not that it was somewhere she couldn't see it. But she's big. That's what prosecutors That's a huge deal. do. And it should... Uh, it, a prosecutor should be charged with a crime if they deliberately hide evidence. Because their job is to get to the truth. But it, it, the, the, the justice system has turned into this thing where... It's almost like a competitive sport for prosecutors to see how many convictions they can get instead of getting to the truth. So you get all these shady tactics involved, and that's where innocent people end up in jail for life or even on death row. Again, we're not saying Scott Peterson's innocent, but... Well, and and I say that, you know, it was led in on the trial that, she didn't know about the boat. Maybe it wasn't introduced in trial, but it was all over the news. And these jurors walked past this crowd of people, hundreds of people outside of the courtroom day and night coming in and out past all of these people chanting that Scott was guilty and throwing evidence at them. And all, you know, because on TV they would actually say, well, this is, this is a fact, but they won't let it in on the trial. Well, the people are shouting this information to the jurors as they're passing by. So they're they're being exposed to information they're not supposed to be exposed to. The scene at the warehouse where the boat was. Correct. Sharon Rocha would disagree with that. That's Lacey's mother. As a matter of fact, I spoke to Sharon Rocha. I had a one-on-one interview with her, and she said, no, Lacey did not know about the boat because she would have... Oh, you spoke with the mom, so you know for a fact she didn't know about the <laughs> boat. Yeah. I told her about that boat. Well, then there would have been no reason for Detective Brocchini to withhold that from his report when he found it out. You know, those are eyewitnesses that say Lacey knew about the boat. That's corroborating that Scott said she knew about the boat. Mm -hmm. Scott is on death row with nobody explaining when or how he carried out this crime. And he's on death row because he asked Gloria Gomez to take her shoes off. But at the end of the day, that body was discussed. So did she get offended by having to take her shoes off? I know I'm I'm, I'm stuck on this, but I'm just curious. (laughs) Like, did she... She'd take that as a shot at her? I don't know. I think she's just one more person that believed he was guilty, so they're going to see what they want to see. Discovered where Scott Peterson went fishing. That you cannot deny. Okay, hold on just one second on that. She just said, you know, the bodies washed up in the bay where Scott Peterson went fishing that day. The bodies washed up, I believe, in like April, maybe March, and she went missing in late December. They had put it all over the news starting 24 hours after she went missing that Scott was in the San Francisco Bay. Hmm. They asked for witnesses to come forward to say, you know, have you guys seen him there? Do you have, you know, any eyewitnesses, you know, that saw him fishing? Um, So everyone knew that he was there. So where would you put the body if you murdered her and you wanted him to take the fall? And it seems a little suspicious that you would dump her right where, you know... You tell everybody you were. You put your boat in the water. Right. Yeah, and that everybody knows you were at. Um, Now, this is not just your average murder. Not that any murder is average, but 
Um, this was a matter of and not just a pregnant woman, eight months pregnant being murdered, but there was some horrendous harm done to this mm-hmm. young lady. Her She was decapitated. Her hands and feet were cut off. Um, when they found her, all they found was the torso. Mm-hmm. They didn't find her full body. Um, but that leads to something else. There were other pregnant women um, that came up missing and later found murdered with their heads cut off, hands and feet also removed, and they were also found in the San Francisco Bay. In that same general vicinity. And the same year Lacey went missing. So, I mean, I'm not saying that, for all I know, he saw that there were people missing and he took the opportunity to to, to do her in. I have no idea. But I'm just saying, I don't think he got a fair trial. I think if all of this evidence was pre- presented to a jury that hadn't been spent a year and a half listening to how guilty this man was... Um, he would have had, uh, he probably wouldn't have been convicted. Well, let's, let's back up and let's talk about one of the m- most important aspects of the story. And that is why he became a, a prime suspect so quickly. And that is because he in fact did lie about particular things. Mm-hmm. He's never been proven to have lied about the murder of Lacey Peterson or knowing what happened to her. But the problem was, and you you can correct me if I'm wrong, he was having an affair Mm -hmm. on his wife with another lady. So when she comes up missing, he's all of a sudden on defense trying to cover up that affair as overnight the national media is camped out around his house right and that's you know a a lot of reporters and a lot of people think he looked guilty because he was dodging um he was dodging the media instead of getting out in the front of the media and, and you know pleading for his wife he was letting the family do it and i think it was because he knew that this woman would see him on tv and come forward you know and um yeah well, it definitely puts him in a tough situation. You yeah. Know? At that point, I mean, just the the best advice I think you could receive in a situation like that is immediately come clean with everything. Yeah. And I can imagine how tough that would be that you had not only broken your vows and you were cheating on your, your pregnant wife, but... You have to admit it as she's gone missing, and ultimately you find out when she was murdered. So the fact that you were having that affair with... If he would have told the truth up front about the affair, he would have still been, I would think, a prime suspect. Absolutely. Because you look at that on paper and you say... Oh, he's he's got a, another girlfriend on the side. He's he didn't, trying to... He didn't want to have a baby. He just right. bought a boat. The neighbor mm-hmm. saw him loading his truck that morning with something big. Um, but he had also had many affairs on her. All the way through their dating and married life, he had been cheating on her. And he had only been dating this lady for about four weeks, I think. Four to That's, six weeks. Was that proven or is that yeah. just what he said? No, that was proven and Lacey knew about the affairs. Oh. Lacey knew that he now her knew pe- about all the previous ones, including this. Well, one. 
I don't know about this one. Okay. No, but the previous ones, yes, she did find out about those, and she stayed with him. So, hmm. but something else to mention, I know it sounds like I'm defending him, okay? I personally think he drowned her in the pool, and he, you know, ditched her body, <laughs> but there was a robbery across the street from her house that day. Um, a neighbor pulled up and saw the robbery in process. And a week after Lacey went missing, some of the stuff that was stolen out of that house was pawned and a watch that she was wearing was pawned. Mm. So, I mean, that lends to, and also um, it was caught on recording in the jail. People admitted to kidnapping and killing a pregnant woman that had confronted them during a robbery. Right. So, I mean, there is so much evidence saying that it may not, and it's, it's, you know, circumstantial evidence but some of it's eyewitnesses well and that was my next question is who assuming that he didn't do it who do we think did do it because it's it's a question that needs to be asked if the prosecutors and the jury legitimately think that he did this to his wife you've got to think there's a 99 percent chance that he killed the other women that were found in the same area and killed the same exact way. Well, I'm I'm going on memory. We didn't prepare this, by the way. We were just in the kitchen. Nah, I don't mean, tell in the, him that. We, we know exactly. We were what in the we're living doing. room talking, and he called me back here, and we just jumped on the mic. So I didn't go back and research this, but I know that there was a white van that was involved in another pregnant woman. She was um, working at her boutique. And a white van pulled up and started banging on the doors, asking her to come to the door and open up the store. And she felt she was in danger right away. So she, you know, locked the doors and called the police. Um, And the people driving the van looked identical to the people that were driving the van that robbed the house across the street. Mm -hmm. Um, But they were trying to kidnap this woman and she got away from them. So, um that just kind of lends to the fact that there were other pregnant women coming up missing in that area that maybe, who knows, maybe they're stealing babies, you know, and selling the babies. We know that people do that. There's Mm -hmm. a black market for babies. Which we will be talking about in depth in future episodes. (laughs) I mean, there, that to me is the most plausible thing is that she did confront the people that were um, robbing the house across the street. Because they said, even her parents said that if she saw someone robbing the house across the street, she would have interfered. She wouldn't have called police. She would have walked right up to them and and confronted them. So if he didn't do it, that's what I think happened to her. Well, maybe it is. So your prediction on what happens next with this new sentencing phase that they'll be doing? Well, since it's in California... (laughs) when i first heard it i thought maybe that has a lot to do with it is the fact that it's in california and everybody frowns on the death penalty (laughs) that's true but what do you think is going to happen um i mean i wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't walk at this point i don't think yes he's served 15 years and there's a lot of evidence that was kept out of that trial that shouldn't have been you almost feel like though that this is just to re-sentence him 
and not to relitigate the entire no, trial. No, his, his conviction's holding. There's a there's a treasure trove of new evidence or at least new questions that are going to incredibly help the defense. Absolutely. Help the Peterson And he's team. got the best. He's got Mark Garagos, several other big hitters. Hmm. So Heavy hitters. <laughs> Well, that's it. That's a wrap for tonight. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed. Trish, I enjoyed you being here. Well, thanks. This is our podcast. We'll prepare next time. And uh, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll move on to the next topic uh, next time. We don't really... There's no structure to this, so we no. don't even really know how long they're going to be. We don't even know the name of the podcast yet, which we are asking you guys to contact us on social media. Let us know what you think. We're just hanging out. Maybe we'll call it hanging out. There you go. Hanging out with Andrew (laughs) Trish. But uh, anyway, we're out of here. We'll do it again tomorrow with another edition of Over the Line. Make sure you share this with all your friends. Subscribe on YouTube and all that jazz. Until next time. Bye, guys. You gotta say, see you, cuz. See you, cuz. We're gonna start over. Until next time, see you, cuz. <laughs>